0: Welcome today to another podcast episode of Established in the Faith. This is Pastor James Pierce, and what a privilege it is to have all of you out there by SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Blueberry, and others. However it is you're getting this program today, we're just so glad to have you. We're going to continue with our study in the book of Revelation. I know it's going to be a blessing to you, and if it is, uh, like the program. And feel free to share it with others. If you'll go over to establishedinthefaith.com, you'll find more information on how you can subscribe to this podcast as well. You can also contact us with any questions and comments that you may have. Well, we're going to go on into our study now, picking it up in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 1, dealing with the church at Sardis. We hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. pick it up tonight with our study in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 3. We'll be dealing with the church at Sardis, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 1. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, and art dead. Sardis was located about thirty miles south of Syatira, and uh, it's known today as Western Turkey. The city was built on a mountain, which made it extremely difficult for the enemy to come in and conquer, and the only... Way into the way into the city was on the southern side, and uh, which made it pretty easy to guard. Now, the thing about it is there were two occasions in which the city was overtaken by the enemy because the guards felt comfortable, didn't think anybody could climb that mountain and sneak in so they fell asleep on duty, and the enemy came in and conquered the place. <laughs> and uh, it's uh, one of the reasons why I believe the Lord made that statement. In verse 2, he said, be watchful. And in verse 3, he said, if therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come into, unto thee, As a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. And uh, so that's just a little bit of the history of the church at Sardis. Now, as I have mentioned several times before, the Lord addressed seven churches here in the book of Revelation. And there are three things that can be said here. First of all, the Lord dealt with each one of these seven churches because there were some problems in each one of these seven churches that needed to be addressed. That's number one. Number two, the Lord called the names of these churches in a specific order. And when you look at the problems that were addressed in these churches... And today we have the privilege of being able to look back in church history and see where there were certain problems going on in church history. You can see where this church represents this certain time period and so on and so forth. We'll go over that and look at it in just a minute. That's the second thing that can be said about these churches. The third thing is just because the Lord addressed a certain church, called it by name, Just because these churches may see some resemblance and represent a certain time period, we shouldn't just shrug it off and say, well, that's all it pertains to. The Word of God is for the entirety of the church age, and it is a universal application to it. So there there are some things that were going on in churches back then. Those things are still going on today. Now, The time period that Sardis represents is what is known as the Protestant Reformation. Now, uh, before I get into that, let me go ahead and recap for you these churches we've looked at so far. The first church we addressed was the church at Ephesus. That represents the apostolic church. It was the church of the original twelve disciples that church period ended around 100 a.d and we believe that was the time frame where john which was the last of the lord's disciples he passed away somewhere around that time frame so that's what we call the apostolic church period the second church we dealt with was smyrna And it represents the martyr church. It lasted from A.D. 100 to A.D. 300. And it was during this time that Rome hurled some ten bloody persecutions against the church. And hundreds of thousands of Christians died because they would not say Caesar is Lord. Instead, they would say Jesus Christ Is Lord. And a lot of people, a lot of Christians lost their lives during this particular time period. And Satan's attempt to destroy the church from the outside, the church at Smyrna. And what Satan cannot seem to do from the outside, he changes his tactics and tries to destroy the church. From Within, which is represented by the church at Pergamos, the third church we dealt with. Pergamos represents the state church. It lasted from A.D. 300 till about A.D. 500. And what happened here at this time period, a man by the name of Constantine, who was an emperor uh, competing for the imperial throne, he was having some conflicts. One night he went to sleep and he saw in a dream a cross. And emblazoned cross. that cross were the words in this symbol, conquer. And Constantine joined the church, became a very active member in the church. Made Christianity the state religion. Of the Roman Empire, put a stop to the persecutions. And you can imagine the response of the people. Brother Constantine, we really appreciate all that you've done, this power and this authority. And so they give him a leadership position in the church based on his political power, strength, education, whatever the case. They gave him a leadership position based on that kind of authority, but not a biblical understanding of the Word. He did not have had very little biblical knowledge whatsoever. He didn't know a whole lot about the Bible, but yet the church set him up there on that pedestal. And it was during this time period from 300 A.D. to 500 A.D. that The Romans placed people in charge, bishops, who were not biblically qualified to be church leaders. And this set the stage for the next church period, Thyatira, which represents the papal Church. It started somewhere around AD 500, and it continues under this hour, We call it the Catholic Church today. The Bishop of Rome assumed supreme authority over the church and announced himself the Pope. Jesus forbid a man having this type of authority in his church. But this is what happens when you start to veer away from the Word of God. When you put men in the pulpit who do not know the Word of God, it begins to lead the church off in a wrong direction. And it was during this time period that worship of the woman and child came into play. A lot of ritualistic things were brought in to the church. People were being taught that if they brought a certain amount of money, then God looks at that and that will save your soul. It was also during this time period that the Catholic Church had what is known as the Inquisitions. If you did not agree with what the Catholic Church said, then you were put on trial and a lot of people were killed. They were called heretics because they didn't believe like the Catholic Church said, the Inquisitions. Which brings us up to the church we're going to look at tonight, the church in Sardis. Now, this all began with a man by the name of Martin Luther. He was a Catholic priest, and at the same time, he was a professor in theology. He was reading and studying in the Bible, and stumbled across Ephesians chapter 2. If you want to flip over there and take a look at that, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, look at verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. When Martin Luther read those words, the Holy Spirit drove it home, implanted it down deep in his heart, and he couldn't get away from it. He saw and recognized what the Catholic Church was teaching and what it was doing. And he couldn't get away from it. Another scripture that he saw was Galatians chapter 3, which goes along with Ephesians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 3, if you will, move down to verse 11. Galatians 3, 11. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. For the just shall live by faith. What we have here in these two passages of Scripture is the very foundation of Christianity. And Martin Luther used these Scriptures along with some others, and he began to dispute the false teachings of the Catholic Church. Which, as I said, they were telling people, Give us your money. And you're saved. So he began to dispute these things. Didn't sit too well. And in 1517, Martin Luther nailed his 95 Theses to the chapel door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany. Pope Leo ordered him to retract his writings, but Martin Luther, he wouldn't do it. And he was finally excommunicated out of the church, and he was regarded by the church as a heretic, an outlaw. And Martin Luther did many things. He started, like, like I said, what is known as the Protestant Reformation. The Protestant Reformation, that's what we are. We are Protestants. Protestants is broken up into many different denominations. But we still have that undergirding foundation of Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's not of works. As Ephesians 2 and 8, by grace are you saved through faith. Faith in Christ and what he did at Calvary. Somebody asked me not too long ago, Brother James, there's so many different denominations, I don't know what church to go to. This one says they're right, that one says they're right. I don't know what to believe. I said, well, come to friendship, we're right. (laughs) But all of them, we may differ as to whom the antichrist is going to be. We may have some difference of opinion as far as baptism. We may differ in opinion as to many different things. But the main thing that we all come back to and agree on is the doctrine of Jesus Christ and what he did on Calvary as being the only way. The only way of salvation. Jesus said no man comes unto the Father but by me. So there you have it. Now, Martin Luther did a lot of things. One of the crowning things that he did, I think, that charted the course for us today, and incidentally, this church period is still going on. It'll be here till Jesus comes. He translated the Bible and made it more accessible to the German people. And later on it was used. And inspired the writing of our King James version. So in that you can see. How this man. Who lived. Back in 1517. That far back. What he did. And the effects that it has. Has. For us today. If this man had not obeyed the Spirit of God. And it just went with the status quo. Just go along and get along. And you know if you'll just do what we tell you to do. You'll be all right. But no he went against the grain. He stood against the Catholic Church. And it almost cost him his life. If it will not for this man taking a stand. You and I wouldn't have the King James Bible today. You just think about that. So here we have many generations of people and future pastors to come. All because of what this man Martin Luther did. Perhaps that's why Jesus said, Revelation 3 and verse 1, Unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, before I deal with the spirits of God, let me go to this latter part first. The seven stars. In the first chapter of the book of Revelation, very last verse, Jesus explains what all of this vision was about. And he said that the seven stars which you saw are the angels of the seven churches. The word angel is, is, uh, simp- is angelos, it simply means a messenger. Or the one that is bringing the message to the church. And we all know who that is. That's the pastor of the church. So in each one of these letters when Jesus said unto the angel of the church of. He's speaking to the pastor. The pastor. And here the pastor is represented by the seven stars. I think the reason the Lord mentioned this is because at this point in time, what Martin Luther did would set the stage for all the future pastors and preachers that were to come as a result of what he did. In essence, the church was starting all over again because the Catholic Church was going way off over here in left field. And it took one man to come out from among them and be separate, started his own church, and whatever the case. All right, let's take a look at the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I am the one that has the seven spirits of God. Verse 1 again, Uh, seven is God's number for perfection and completion. There are not seven Holy Spirits. There's only one Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not divided. That word seven is simply symbolic for perfection and completion. Jesus Christ is the only one who had the fullness of the Spirit. Now, you and I today have the fullness of the Spirit. We have the Spirit, but let me flip it around and say it this way and ask the question Does the Spirit have you? Think about it. We've got the Holy Spirit, but how much of us does the Holy Spirit have? The Holy Spirit had all of Jesus. That's why he was able to walk over and touch the blinded eyes and they would open. Never failed. When you came to Jesus, you knew when you walked away, you were going to be a different man. You were going to walk a little different. You were going to be able to hear. You were going to be able to talk. You were going to be able to see. If there was any demon spirits, honey, they were gone. Because Jesus didn't want no part of them. They didn't want no part of him. And uh, the Holy Spirit moved through The Lord Jesus Christ. But He doesn't move that way through us. We've got hiccups, hang-ups, problems. The Lord's dealing with those things. He deals with us on a daily basis. As we're conformed more and more into the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ. All right. Jesus said, I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and are dead. If you're not open to the moving of the Holy Spirit, then the end result is going to be death. There are a lot of dead churches across this land today. A lot of them. The name over the door says. Baptist church or Methodist church or whatever. Title is over the door. It calls itself a church. They have a name. That they live with. But Jesus said you are dead. Why would he make such a statement? Because the church does not allow the moving of the Holy Spirit. Within its doors. Now, what is it that makes the Holy Spirit work? If you'll look at Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8 and verse 2, here's how the Holy Spirit works. And he will not work outside of this of which I'm about to tell you. Romans chapter 8 verse 2. For the law of the Spirit. Notice the terminology. For the law of the Spirit of life. If you want life in your church, you need the Holy Spirit in your church. For the law of the Spirit of life is in Christ Jesus. There you have it. Well, what in the world does that mean? That means that you need to put your faith in Christ and what Christ did at Calvary's cross. The moment you do that, according to Romans chapter 6, As many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, we were baptized into his death and raised with him in a newness of life. There in Romans chapter 6. And in the mind of God, the moment you accept Christ as your Savior, in the mind of God, you died with Jesus when he died on that cross. That old man died and was buried And now the person I'm looking at now is a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. It's what a Christian is. And there is life in the church when the pastor reminds the people and brings them back to that foundation. And you get a hold of it. And you don't let anybody pull you away from it. You hold on to the cross of Christ. And as you keep your faith in the work of the cross, then the Holy Spirit can move and work. All right. Jesus said in verse 2 He said, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. If I, as your pastor, do not keep bringing this out and bringing this to you. Church history reveals to us that they will move away from it. The Apostle Paul told the church in Galatia, and he hadn't been gone from there very long, he said, I am amazed at how soon you are removed from the cross of Christ, when he opened up the book there in Galatians. Martin Luther started a new church. It was based on the cross of Christ, teaching the exact same thing that the Apostle Paul was teaching. But when you've been taught wrong for so many years... And now you have somebody coming along teaching you the right way. And it may have been mom and daddy teaching you this. Because they heard it from a preacher that heard it from a preacher that and right on down the line. And all of a sudden this man that has been considered by a majority of the people as a heretic and outlaw comes on the scene and says, this is the way. The way you've been taught is wrong. Not everybody's flocking to his church. And it's hard. Very hard. It's another reason why Jesus said what he said, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain. These times were very hard. He said I have not found your works perfect before God. Martin Luther had his scriptures down. The foundation being Christ and him crucified. But when he started his church. He was still doing a lot of the ritualistic worship and things that the Catholic church Was doing. Perhaps that's why the Lord said, I've not found your works perfect before God. All right, verse 3 He said, Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour. I will come upon thee. Take a look at verse 4. He said, but you have a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. When you leave the cross, you defile your garments. We seem to think that because we have fallen into sin... Sin covers a wide territory. There's a lot of things that we do that sin, we don't even know is sin. But did you know when you say something harshly to your husband or to your wife, you've got that little bit of an edge on your voice, did you know that sin too? The Lord will deal with you about it. And we seem to think that we have fallen or we have defiled our garments because we have sinned. But the big sin, the major sin, the sin that's going to take you out is the sin of rejecting Christ and what he did at Calvary. It's when you st- believing faith in Christ is what gets you in. Faith in Christ is what keeps you in. Did you follow me? Now no I'm not saying go out here and have an affair. I'm not saying go out here and buy you a fifth of liquor and drink it tonight. I'm not saying go get you some drugs and just live it up and go party. I'm not saying that at all. Those things will definitely erode your faith. But we all slip once in a while. If you don't believe me, let me mash your toe with a hammer one time and see what you say. Somebody cut you off in traffic sometime, we'll see what you say. There's always somebody out there that'll push your buttons and you'll say something that you shouldn't have said, or maybe you don't say it, but you're thinking it. And that's almost as bad. All right? But it ain't that that gets you out. It's when you come to the place that you stop believing in the finished work of Christ. And you turn your back on God and you go off out here in the world. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because of this next statement that Jesus made about midway through the latter part of verse 4. He said, they shall walk with me in white for they are worthy. Verse 5, he that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. This right here refutes the doctrine of unconditional eternal security, once saved, always saved. Because there are those in different denominations that believe and teach that once you get saved, no matter what you do, you can go out here and live any old way and do whatever, and you'll always be saved. And that's not the case. That ain't what this book says. He said, I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. Well, what? It tells me that if they don't overcome, then he will blot their name out of the book of life. But it's not the sin that gets you out of the book. It's when you turn your back on God and you stop believing when you stop believing that's when your name gets blotted out of that book and there may be some tough days I know I've seen some tough days some of you've seen some tough days maybe you're going through a tough time right now and you're thinking there ain't no way in the world I'm going to make heaven my home because I've got this hang up and that hang up and I keep finding myself doing this and I'm doing that and I'm not doing the other and and you've got your eyes focused on what you're doing let me tell you something tonight you ain't going to heaven because of what you do or because of what you don't do you get to heaven because of your faith Where is your faith? Let me tell you something tonight. If you don't quit. Then God's not going to quit. Do you hear me? If you don't quit. God's not going to quit. You may get there with smoke on your clothes. (laughs) Because you come that close to the fires of hell. But you're going to make it. Because your faith is right. And if your faith is right, the Holy Spirit's going to keep working on you. He's going to keep telling you that what you're doing is wrong. And you don't need to be over here. You need to be over here. And you don't need to do that. You need to do this. And it's up to you to do what this next verse says. Verse 6. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches.